0: Welcome to Insights, a production of J.P. Morgan Asset Management. Insights is an audio podcast that provides perspective on the opportunities and uncertainties facing investors today. Today's program, the Market Insights Notes on the Week Ahead.
1: Hello, this is David Kelly. I'm Chief Strategist here at J.P. Morgan Funds. Today is March 23rd, 2021. In recent months, Falling political uncertainty, two powerful rounds of fiscal stimulus, and the rollout of COVID-19 vaccines have resulted in a long-anticipated rotation in markets. Since early November, value stocks have outperformed growth, small caps have outperformed large, and international stocks have outperformed their U.S. counterparts, with each of these moves reversing a multi-year trend. U.S. long-term interest rates have been at the center of this move, with 10-year Treasury yields rising by almost a full percentage point between the day after the 2020 elections and last Friday. However, even as these events have unfolded, many investors are asking whether this rotation has now run its course. Those who argue that it has can point to a stalling in the reduction in new COVID-19 infections in the United States and recent surge in cases in Europe. They can also note the slow rollout of vaccine efforts in the European Union and Japan as well as global vaccine hesitancy. And to the extent that the rotation reflects rising interest rates, they can cite recent extremely dovish pronouncements from major central banks as reason to doubt that we will see further major interest rate increases. However, on balance, the outlook still favours a significant fading of the pandemic around the world in the months ahead. This should lead to a synchronous global economic surge by the end of the year, and this should both favour cyclical equity sectors and lead to further rises in long-term interest rates. In addition, 2021 may finally demonstrate the limits of central bank power in suppressing long-term interest rates in the face of rising global growth, inflation, and fiscal stimulus. Finally, it may provide evidence that the United States is just as capable of pulling global interest rates higher as Europe and Japan are in holding them down. In broad terms, growth stocks have outperformed value stocks since the Great Financial Crisis, while U.S. equities have outperformed their international counterparts over the same period. In addition, since 2014, large caps have outperformed small caps. Much of this likely reflects the nature of the last long expansion. A slow and steady expansion with low long-term interest rates tends to favor growth stocks over value stocks and large over small. In addition, a rising dollar for most of the period favored U.S. stocks, particularly given the economic disruption of the European debt crisis and the commodity slump of the mid-teens. These trends were extended by the Trump tax cuts and tariff wars, which favored U.S. equities over international. In addition, a consistently dovish Fed since the great financial crisis has contributed to low long-term interest rates, while the pandemic recession seemed, at least initially, to favour all of these trends, with large U.S. tech companies the clear winners in a social distancing environment. Since the November elections, however, the roles of relative winners and losers have reversed. The 10-year Treasury yield has has risen from 0.78% on the day after the election, when the outcome was still in doubt, to 1.74% on Friday. Over the same period, the yield on 10-year tips has risen by a more modest 29 basis points, from 0.86% to 0.57%. At the same time, the Russell 1000 value index has outperformed the Russell 1000 growth index by almost 14%, while the Russell 1000 index of large-cap stocks has trailed the Russell 2000 small-cap index by over 24%. Relative to early November, the US dollar has fallen, while international stocks have outperformed the US counterparts, although in both cases these trends have been partially reversed in recent weeks. Having been burned many times before in the last few years, many investors are naturally suspicious of the durability of the recent increase in interest rates and the rotation towards value of small cap and international equities. However, the fundamental macro themes that have set this rotation in motion do seem to have some room to run. First, on COVID-19, despite a stalling in the decline in case counts, the pandemic is likely to fade in the U.S. over the next few months. Vaccination efforts are continuing to ramp up, with roughly 2.5 million doses being administered every day. Importantly, while according to the CDC, only 25% of the overall population has now received at least one dose of vaccine, this percentage jumps to 69% of the population over age 65. This should dramatically reduce fatalities from the disease, since 81% of the Americans who died from COVID-19 last year were 65 or older. Indeed, this is already beginning to show up in the numbers, with the seven-day moving average of fatalities falling from a peak of over 3,500 in January to under 1,000 today. Vaccine hesitancy remains an issue, with a recent poll conducted by the World Economic Forum showing 29% of Americans reluctant to get inoculated. However, given the virulence of this disease, many of these people will likely gain some immunity from the virus the hard way, by catching the disease, although sadly with a far greater toll in death and long-term health issues than if they'd been vaccinated. The U.S. still seems on track to have vaccines available for all adults willing to take them by the end of May, and, provided new variants don't elude the vaccines, the pandemic should wind down in the U.S. over the summer. It is, of course, noteworthy that most countries are lagging behind the United States in the pace of vaccination. The latest numbers show only 9% of people in the European Union and less than 1% of the Japanese have received at least one dose. However, in both cases, vaccine supplies should pick up in the months ahead. In Europe, where vaccine hesitancy is similar to the United States, a gradual return to social mingling should allow for a similarly messy approach to herd immunity, just a few months behind the US. Japan could have a more difficult problem. The Japanese people have been very successful in limiting the death toll from COVID-19 with fewer than 10,000 fatalities, compared to 530,000 in the United States. However, this also means very few Japanese have any immunity to the disease. In addition, various vaccine problems over the years heightened by media attention, have fostered a scepticism of vaccines in Japan, which is significantly greater than in most developed nations. Still, it is likely that by the end of the year, Japan will have inoculated most of its population and will be able to resume normal activities. The global economy should see a rapid acceleration in growth over the course of 2021, as the pandemic recedes and the restaurant travel, leisure and entertainment businesses spring back to life. This, of course, will be augmented by fiscal stimulus around the world. Indeed, while the United States has been more aggressive than Europe, Japan or China in providing fiscal stimulus, a good chunk of this money should head overseas to buy imports, worsening the US trade deficit while contributing to a global rebound. Meanwhile, central banks remain doggedly dovish. In the past two weeks, the European Central Bank, the Bank of England, the Bank of Japan and the Federal Reserve have all recommitted themselves to continued bond purchases and made various pledges to maintain low interest rates. Part of this may be a genuine caution about uncertainty surrounding the virus and the pace of economic recovery. However, it also reflects deliberately dovish forward guidance in an attempt to hold long-term interest rates down. This has not been particularly successful in the United States, where long-term yields continue to rise even after the Fed's communications last Wednesday. However, those who argue against a further backup of US yields point to a depressing effect of low yields overseas. After all, to a German facing a 10-year Bund yield of 0.31%, A 10-year treasury paying 1.74% could look like a high-yield bond. There is, of course, some truth to this, but it's important to recognize its limits. Long-dated government bonds are, to some extent, substitutes, particularly for large investors willing to hedge currency risks. Consequently, there has always been a strong correlation among government bond deals in Japan, Europe and the United States. However, the contribution of a region to setting average developed country bond deals should be roughly proportionate to its highs in global markets. According to the Bank of International Settlements, the US accounts for roughly 39% of the global bond market, compared to 37% for the European Union, the UK and Japan combined. Consequently, as a rough approximation, in the global tug-of-war and bond deals, the US should be just as capable of pulling other global yields up as other developed countries are in holding them down. The next few months should see continued progress in ending the pandemic, spurring a global surge in economic growth. This should provide further momentum to the rotation that began last November. However, for long-term investors, it's important to note that the relative valuations still favour this rotation as much as momentum. As of the end of last week, the Russell 1000 Value Index sported a forward PE ratio of 18.2 times compared to 28.7 times for the Growth Index. Both are expensive relative to history. However, compared to their average relationship over the last 25 years, value stocks are still 0.7 standard deviations cheap relative to growth, as we show on page 10 of the Guide to the Markets. Similarly, as we show on page 14, small-cap value stocks remain cheap relative to large-cap growth. And as we show on page 57, even after a recent rally, both emerging market and developed country stocks look less expensive than the S&P 500 compared to the relationship of the last 25 years. None of this, of course, provides any assurance that yields will rise further or that the rotation towards value small-cap and international will continue. Markets remain vulnerable to shocks of all kinds, as the last year vividly illustrates – However, it does suggest that investors would be wise to ensure that they are not underweight these recently better-performing sectors or too exposed to a rise in long-term interest rates as a pandemic recession of 2020 gives way to the post-pandemic boom of 2021. Well, that's it for this week. Please tune in again next week. And if you have any questions in the meantime, please reach out to your J.P. Morgan representative.
0: This content has been produced for information purposes only. The results of such research are being made available as additional information and do not necessarily reflect the views of J.P. Morgan Asset Management. Any forecasts, figures, opinions, statements of financial market trends, or investment techniques and strategies expressed are those of J.P. Morgan Asset Management, unless otherwise stated, as of the date of production.